just so everyone else knows, uh, we actually are coming up on our 52nd episode. I can't believe it's been a year already. Fucking crazy. I'm, I'm making yeah. like a slide whistle noise. <laughs> yeah, but we want to get everyone involved, like our listeners. So we're kind of doing two things. We want you to choose between the four movies that we have up for grabs. I guess that we're going to cover. Brian's really nice. And he's like bringing cool movies like true (laughs) lies and like enter the dragon. Right. So you can pick between those. Those are what Brian chose. Uh Or you can pick my asshole ones. Yeah. Where it's cool (laughs) as ice or Rob Zombie's Halloween too. I'm bringing the fun. Matt's bringing the pain. So pick your poison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, those are the four options. So please pick one of them. Uh, Either one, uh, the most votes win. So either one, we're whatever one gets the most votes is one we're gonna we're gonna do i think any one of them would be uh fun to do and also we're kind of doing like an ask us anything uh a way for you guys to uh get to know us a little bit more or if you have questions about like some stuff that we've done or our backgrounds or whatever if you have questions for us uh please let us know through our social media you can dm us if you don't want to comment um, in public or send us an email uh, but we'd love to hear for hear from you with your questions, and we'll be answering those at the end of the episode for episode 52. Yeah, let us know right in. I'm really curious to see what you guys come up with, and uh, I hope you, you make the right choice. And by the right choice, pick one of my movies. fantastic episode of the post credits podcast <laughs> yeah well, the way that you said that i was like oh we're actually not starting the podcast right now we're gonna have like a diatribe of something else <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have a diatribe right <laughs> no we're not there's nothing to diatribe about i feel like pretty much everybody's in universal agreement about how enjoyable this movie is but for those who don't know my name is brian matt's over there and we're just gonna get right into it because today yeah. we're talking about the second best Star Trek film, Galaxy Quest. I love this movie, but what's the first best Star Trek? Rathacon? Rathacon, yeah. I gotta say, full disclosure, I kind of like the motion picture. And I think I'm like the only one on the planet that likes it. But it's got, I don't know, I'm a sucker for that version, or that that movie. But anyways, that's either here nor there. I really like this movie and i also have to admit that when it came out back in 1999 which is crazy mind-blowing same year as lost in space i think yeah and uh the matrix i don't think i liked it back then i think like i just misunderstood it and uh uh didn't think anything of it and thought it was like super nerdy but i I don't think i had a sense of humor (laughs) back then (laughs) Well, I'm not going to pick on 1999, Matt, because 1999, Brian wasn't very smart about certain things either. (laughs) But uh, I didn't see it for a long time. I'm kind of a late bloomer, not only on this movie, but on Star Trek, because when I saw that this was coming out, it's like, oh, it's kind of a Star Trek thing. And I'm not really into Star Trek because I was more Star Wars over Star Trek. And most of the things I'd learned about Star Trek, I had learned under protest 
because my brother was a big Star Trek fan and he was watching the series all the time and, you know, had a lot of them on tape. And so most of what I know is based off of what I just happened to catch in the background while I was trying to do something else, play my video games or whatever. You know, but as time went on, I, I did develop an appreciation. And even when I quote unquote didn't like it, I still recognize like Wrath of Khan is really good. First Contact is really good. There's certain elements of Next Generation I thought were really cool, but I just felt like, ah, it's really not for me because, you know, Star Trek is mm, a, a little bit country and Star Wars is a little bit rock and roll, just to use a, a very bad metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um actually like believe it or not like star trek was like my dad was really in, not really i should say really into star trek because then he had this connotation that he would be able to speak klingon but he really did like star trek and i remember my dad was like super excited when like next generation came out so like star trek was around for me but even with that this movie just yeah missed its mark at the time but man what a great movie. What a great movie now. Like it's really impressive. How how would you how would you describe this movie in in a sentence to someone? I would say very much like Star Trek, but if it was also combined with The Wizard of Oz. You know. Okay. Where it's like it has everything of a Star Trek movie or television show in it, but the fact is like the people brought into the world of Star Trek are just actors kind of taken away, like taken out of, you know, yeah. uh, Kansas, so to speak, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's if aliens came down and thought William Shatner was really Captain Kirk. Yeah. Which I think is like really amazing. There's so many, like, I guess like metas on top of metas on top of metas in this movie, because you have like the whole fandom that's throughout the movie like inside the movie where it's like they're at the, you know, like the, like basically like a Star Trek con convention. Mm -hmm. That's how it starts but, out. Yeah. Yeah. But like, as I realized watching it, this, like this last time, it's like, well, the aliens are also kind of Star Trek fans, aren't they? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like the only thing that, and you know, we've seen this like a lot with other TV shows like Veronica Mars and like Twin Peaks where, like the fans and the enthusiasm for the show is so great that it actually like comes back. You see it with the X-Files too. And I find it like really fascinating that like by the end of this movie, like the fans that are also the aliens ended up bringing like the whole thing back because of the presence at the convention, you know, like yeah. they get to do the show again, you know? Yeah, it's it's really uh, interesting crystallization of the symbiotic relationship between a property and its fandom, because at the time when this came out in 99, Star Trek was really the only thing that enjoyed that level of convention, fandom, cosplay. Not that those things didn't exist, but it, it's hard to imagine a time that wasn't this golden age that we're in now where people have the internet, you know, fans were like really kind of in the background. And yeah, I remember going to Motor City Comic Con and you could get every autograph in the place 
and have time to shop in about two hours and you were not elbow to elbow with people like you are now. I remember when we went, when Attack of the Clones came out around then. Mm -hmm. It might have been like that weekend that it came out. But uh, we went to Motor City Comic Con and it was literally just like tables of comic books and like some people walking around, like a fair amount of people, but not like 40,000 people like it is today. You didn't you need know? the fire marshal being like, hey, hey, you got <laughs> no. No, there's, the lines wasn't wrapped around the building to get in. No. And like you just walked up to Tom Savini, who was sniffing a rose and got his autograph. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like. Uh, and then my my childhood hero of the crow, James Labar, was just an asshole to me, and that was shattered. <laughs> Fucking douchebag. Yeah, he, he was the Alec Rick Rickman of this scenario. <laughs> yeah, he really was. Don't you um, tell me how much you like the crow. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it is really interesting because, like, in the movie, you're totally right, where it's like Star Trek was, or that that this type of thing was like super celebrated. But then the peripheral things like Marvel Comics, you were you kind of had to had to be a little bit of a nerd, you know, to be like, you know, considered a fan, you mm -hmm. know, uh, access to it wasn't readily available. There was no movies. Maybe Blade was out by then, you know. Right. Um, but there wasn't anything to grab onto like the whole MCU now this larger than life, like 20 plus movies, you know, where it's like anyone yeah. can be a fan. Well, you know. I, I don't want to go down that road too much. I just wanted to use it as an illustration of how ahead of its time that it was. Well, the, yeah, that's, it, it predicted a lot of things. Well, and at the same time, it's all still very, very Star Trek because Star Trek kind of came and went. I mean, it, it had its run on CBS, but it didn't become popular until it was in syndication. And it was that rabid fan base that started doing these conventions that they realized the audience was still there, even though the show was, they had Paramount had long since pulled the plug on it, uh, or CBS, I, I guess it was on CBS, had long since pulled the plug on it. And then it kind of led to Star Trek, the motion picture, brought it back from the dead. Much in the same way, in a beautiful comment here where the, the fans, the, the aliens, you know, not only bring them to back to save the planet, but then there's kind of this galaxy quest TV show that happens after the movie, you know? So it's like they, they bring that back to life through their fandom, even, you know, even though you have the, the whole fun adventure aspect of it. So you just take that out of the equation. It's still a perfect metaphor for the the complete journey of star Trek and those actors. And I, I'm sure a lot of that was based off that famous, um, Pasadena Star Trek convention that you always hear them tell horror stories about in those old interviews. I actually have no idea about this convention. Uh, that's something for you to do then. Look that okay. up. Okay, I'll Google it then. N Nichelle Nichols was on an episode of Futurama, and she even like name drops it at one point because Fry starts nerding out and like, "Hey, you're from Star Trek." I'm like, ah, this is this is the Pasadena <laughs> Star Trek convention all over again. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll have to check that out to understand what you're talking about. Another thing that it predicted, which I didn't realize was so ahead of its time, back in 1999, was the internet face call that's at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, like that was that, the stuff of science fiction then. Like yeah, I was like, because I do like think back 
when I saw that, like, wait a minute, that actually exists. And I'm like, no, no, like you can't, you can't barely get an AIM message across without like connection errors. Right. Let you alone know? have a 3D map of the <laughs> burrows of the starship on there. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was like pretty cool. I mean, 3D programs did exist at the time. They they did. It's just that it, that real time rendering was not a thing that was happening. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I found out when I was looking into this afterwards? Uh, there's a marvelous documentary on the movie that was also on Prime titled Never Give Up, Never Surrender. It's a perfect companion did, to this movie. Did you watch that? It, yeah, I did. It's like I, I what I love about Galaxy Quest is it's a wholesome movie, right? Like it is a comedy and action, but then there's like some really heartfelt moments in it, right? But then this documentary kind of surrounding Galaxy Quest and its own fandom is like a really good story, like to tell as well with all the creators behind it, like what they were going through at the time. And then their appreciation, you know, for this, for the fandom that's come to like hold this movie up high. Uh, it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some interesting facts in there. Like how Harold Ramis was the original director of this. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't want Tim Allen in there and, uh, Tim Allen was kind of a studio decision. And that's kind of one of the reasons why he left, why Harold Ramis left this project. Yeah, yeah that's that's not entirely fair. Um, they hit a, had a meeting with Tim Allen. It was kind of like, well, we're just having a meeting with you. We're not really going to cast you in this, which that happens in Hollywood all the time. Where, you know, and I, we mentioned this in, in the Punisher Warzone episode with Freddie Prince Jr., they had a meeting because he wanted to play Jigsaw because he was a super fan. And and they're like, he's great, isn't he? And like, yeah, but you're not going to cast him. That's kind of what that was, where it's like, oh, Tim Allen's a real fan and he wants to do something because home improvements ended and whatnot. And it's like, but you're not going to cast him. Okay. But it, it was really Harold Ramis didn't think he was right for it. And the story that they tell in the film is that he made the, when they wanted Tim Allen, he made the decision to step away because he made a film called club paradise with Robin Williams, which was a failure. Oh, right. That's right. Because Harold didn't think he captured like Robin Williams's talents. Yeah. He, he wasn't sure that he was like using his comedic voice. Right. And he right. thought he was afraid the same thing would happen if he used Tim Allen which I thought is about the most genuine fall-on-your-sword moment I've ever heard for a high-profile director leaving a film. You know, it wasn't some creative differences or anything <laughs> like that. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I guess it's a hard call. You can, I guess you never know, like, the real answer, you know, but, like, if that's the case, like, you know, I feel bad for Ramis for leaving because he is such a talented director, um, but at the same time, like if he was still in place, like I know that what they were going for or what Harold Ramis was going for was more along the lines of like space balls where it's kind of like goofy and everything and slapstick and bad yeah. sets. And this was like the moments 
that are really funny or that I think are really funny in Galaxy Quest are when like things are played pretty straight, but it's like the surrounding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, surrounding like thing that happened. Like one of the things that I, I go to all the time is like when when um, uh, Alan Rickman saves like all the aliens from suffocating. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like walking through them, like, look what I have done for you. I have saved all of you. Mm-hmm. But then they all think they all think Tim Allen. Yeah. You know? Which yeah, which that, is that's really funny to me. Just echoes his real life situation <laughs> on the show. Yeah. And with the fandom. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm surprised at this cast. Uh in any comedy, I usually find like one person that steals the show right like anytime they're on i'm like that's like the winning person the winning personality of the comedy but i gotta say like everyone in this movie like does such a good job that i can't like be like that's the person that did well like sam rockwell's character i love that he doesn't have a last name Mm -hmm. so he's always afraid of dying yeah because he's expendable (laughs) in the show yeah which is such a star trek trope (laughs) yeah 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 i think that was really funny and i found out like because he wanted to be on edge all the time that he would just drink tons of coffee before he had to act so he would be like purposely jittery oh you know he's sweating constantly (laughs) yeah yeah well he's kind of a method actor because I, I think I want to say Green Mile came out the same year, and I don't I don't think I'm I he I'm sure he's done stuff because you don't just get to do these big movies having done nothing. He certainly wasn't a household name then, before those two movies. And what a pair of different movies to have come out the same the same year. Yeah. Well, apparently he didn't want to do Galaxy Quest, and the only reason that he did was because Green Mile, its release window was relatively close to Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't want to, because um, he, in an interview, he was saying, in the documentary, he was saying, like, he didn't want to be the buffoon actor. And he was like, yeah, I was taking myself, like, way too seriously. Like, who, who even cares? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... um, But when yeah, you're he, young and you've only done, like, one movie that's oh, that huge, you're you're going to get typecast. Right. Like, right. Hey, like, look, you know, hey, you're you're Stifler. You're going to be Stifler in every movie that's not American Pie or an American Pie ripoff. Oh, of course. I mean, he was even in he was Stifler even in uh, Final Destination. You know, man, like this cast is awesome. I think the story that's told is awesome. The comedy mixed with the drama. Like, oh, my God. Uh, it's so impressive that the scene that I just talked about, not. 10 seconds later they have one of the more serious like emotional scenes in the movie and i'm like how can you like be how can the director and writers be so confident to be able to like switch gears that quickly being from like here's a good laugh to like oh my god this is awful (laughs) you know well that that's why you play it all straight because then it's all genuine you know you're not you're not having a laugh at the thing the humor is coming from the situation. Yeah. So it, it's all honest humor and you can have those turns on a dime. Whereas if they were slapstick and then they got heavy, it, you know, that's, I think when kind of how a lot of people tend to turn on Shaun of the dead 
for doing that where it's like it's all fun and games and then it's like oh shit got serious yeah you know it's not that it doesn't work it's just it takes people off guard in a way that it doesn't do that here right right oh man so i guess like what do you uh what do you think about like do you think that's done really well in this movie then because it's played straight like going back and forth between like because it's really like three different types of movies wrapped into one you know it's like comedy drama and then like action and it is still like a really good movie to look at like especially when they're in space you know Mm -hmm. it holds up yeah i mean you know watch any of my horror comedies for my answer to that because that's exactly how i try to do it and and it wasn't because of galaxy quest it's just that's my favorite kind of humor i i hate watching horror comedies and it you know i use comedy in a very loose sense it's just such a cheap trick where it's like look at how stupid this is isn't that stupid isn't the monster dumb and you know everyone's just like that's that's not a joke like there's just nothing there to that i enjoy seeing characters seeing the gears turn and putting people in these absurd situations and then watching them figure their way out of it. And that's just endlessly entertaining. And it's also honest, you know, it is like, it, it's not just some cheap trick. It's, it's just, it works because there's heart behind it. And yeah, this absolutely has that here. One, one of the interesting things that I found out, uh, this movie is PG, but it had an R rating, like right when it came out. A couple of actors like have said in other interviews that they don't remember like the movie being darker, right, than what we saw. But for some reason it got an R rating and then certain stuff was cut to get down to a PG thirteen. Okay, all then... right. So it, it wasn't that it ever came out with an R rating. It's that the first cut might have had an R rating because there was a lot of profanity in it. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. But still, they had to go back and like re-edit and reshoot stuff to get down to a PG rating from an R. Okay. Well, because you said it had come out with an R rating, and I just wanted to make that clarification. It it had always been a PG movie, and you can see a very hilarious remnant of that is when uh, they come to the Smashers and and Sigourney Weaver says, "Oh, screw this," and she clearly says, "Oh, f this." <laughs> right. Yeah, but she says, screw this. You know what's funny is she, uh, that was like a protest from her, from Sigourney Weaver. Um, they had to go back and do like ADR, you mm-hmm. know, to get down to it. And, you know, you can't have like the F-bomb in right. a PG movie, you know. And she was so annoyed that that's what they were trying to do that she purposely made it like misaligned with, obviously, like it would, it's a different type of like mouth movement saying fuck to mm-hmm. screw that you know mm-hmm. but she like over exaggerated it so you could there'd be no like you could easily tell <laughs> the difference in the words that she was saying you yeah. know maybe she, a better she was like maybe a better sound editor could have pulled that off uh it made it line up poss- a little better but <laughs> possibly yeah um and then i guess other stuff that was cut uh was um alan rickman's character had like a because what I find really funny also is that the um the whole like historical documents and the aliens, the historical documents being the show and then the aliens trying to make everything like reflect those historical documents. So like Alan Rickman's the only character who is an alien on the cast. 
So like his food that he has to eat is like insects mm-hmm. <laughs> that are still alive. And then um, I guess one of the things that was cut was like his bedroom, his quarters on the ship had like alien probes in it. And like uh, Tim Allen said, it was like a proctologist's dream and nightmare <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> So, like, all of his, like, crew quarters stuff was cut from the movie. And then, um, oh, oh, and then, like, I, I this wasn't cut, but I guess the original script before the main script writer came on to rework a lot of it had, like, a bunch of darker scenes as well. Like, Sigourney Weaver's seducing aliens. I don't know what that's why? about. But, <laughs> yeah, why? Exactly. Um, but I don't know, like, I guess, um, they wanted to make uh, uh, whoever made this movie. I, I forget now. Like what company? I mean, DreamWorks. Um, that's right, DreamWorks. They um, wanted to have like uh, a movie that could make as much money as like the Rugrats movie that came out a year before, which is like they wanted this the demographic to be like eight to twelve year olds, right? Mm-hmm. That's like their demographic for something like this. And um, the director said, "Is like I." I didn't like that because I was making a movie for everyone, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, that Man, that's got to be some um, immense pressure to be under. To have, like, this idea in your head, That's it's not necessarily like an adult movie, you know? I, I think kids could watch this and be fine with it. Uh, but I think some of the concepts would fly over kids. You know, some of the humor might not, like, they might not understand it. But to not even know that that's the demographic that the studio's going for while you're making the movie oh my god like the stress i couldn't imagine the stress like you're almost done and they're like yeah we're, we're trying to market this for kids it's like what yeah it's a little late for that yeah we've got 98 pages of 100 page <laughs> screenplay on film already but um yeah we're doing yeah no <laughs> yeah 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 that's tough they they really wanted that PG rating though, and you know Sigourney Weaver could have got her f bomb in there, and you you know it would have slid to PG thirteen because you can have one, but that would have pushed it over the line right there. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't mind that it's not in there, and it's it, but because it's kind of funny to know that it's coming, <laughs> being like, look at her mouth and look what she's saying. Why well, doesn't line up at all? This is only the second time I've seen this movie, and I I didn't notice it until uh, like so I I forgot that it was there both times, and it just it reminds me of Evil Dead Two where uh, Workshed and, and like yeah. he just turns and he, like he doesn't say anything, but they just like his head's moving so fast they just put that line in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's her Workshed line. <laughs> Uh, another one that's not as uh, uh, like an ADR thing that I always think of whenever something like this happens is from Lethal Weapon 2, mm-hmm. where there's like a car chase with Mel Gibson in a truck, and then there's like a surfboard that flies over a car and like lands on one of the villains and like kind of like hurts him. And he's not looking at the camera, and he's kind of getting up from the gravel, but all, all of a sudden you hear, surf's up. <laughs> like... It's, yeah. it's not he's not saying that like why are you putting that in the movie you know i if if i ever had a chance to meet sigourney weaver i i, I would just ask her to 
say say screw this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> fuck this that's probably how it would come back but uh not to dwell on that too much because this is really a, a very you know for a family friendly adventure film and, and it is family friendly even though it's a movie for everyone but you know they're not afraid to get a little dark at times and i, I think that helps the reality of the situation and it kind of go, goes along with playing it straight so I, I think the movie's better off for having most of the profanity left out of it because it does put it at a level where you know if you really are making a movie for everybody nah, that really doesn't need to be there yeah and i feel like having the profanity in it um would also diminish like the serious notes of it mm -hmm. right if everyone's dropping swear words everywhere and then you come up on like you know a more serious scene like when like Malthazar or Mathazar, whatever his name is, is getting tortured. Um, and then you don't have that moment of like Tim Allen over him telling him that, like, you know, what we're doing, it's all fake. You know, you don't have that, like, you, I don't think you would have that emotional impact, mm -hmm. you know, of that scene where it's like, oh my God, like this alien race came to Earth to, you know, try to get like a leader. And then what they got is an actor instead. And like, you know, I don't think that that would be the case. So I think like not having the swear swearing in it, if that's the only thing that's holding it back from a PG to an R, like I think it was the right move, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I do think that that would have been the funnier line, but in the broader context of the film, it was the right choice. Uh, you know, but to that torture scene, I mean, that that's just a really interesting thing of, you know, we're going to stop the physical torture because the real torture is him telling you that yeah, every, everything you believed in with all of your childlike reverence is wrong. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's a villain. It is. And um, like the villain even says something along those lines where he said to tim allen like you've done more damage than i could possibly ever do oh yeah you know and it's it's right on the money you know and i'm curious like towards the end of the film when like you know they everyone's victorious uh he the alien says like oh that was a really good put on i wonder if i don't like when i re-watched it i don't know if like he's saying that to his crew so they don't get disenchanted by these actors or if he believes that you know like oh that was just a put on that you did mm -hmm. like good for you do you know what i'm saying oh yeah i'm mean, like most things in this movie it's kind of an onion where you're just peeling the layers back and you know the the writing is so good that, and how it works on so many levels so consistently and you know not only with the whole perfect encapsulation of star trek but you know one thing that really struck me is, is just especially poignant is how you know fans have this love for a property and we all know that it it it's i mean children might not but we all know that it doesn't exist and you know it's not real but if you buy into it like you you just forget where you're at for a second and then it's like that's what makes it real and you know but they got to put it in this 
weird context where it's like this race of aliens didn't understand television. So to them, it was totally real in that way that we have when we're innocent children. Mm -hmm. That's, that's beautiful. It, it is. Um, and I, I didn't have the ability to articulate it that way, but yeah, I mean, it's exactly what it is like this whole alien race. Look, Terminians, I think, is what they're called. Someone called yeah, them they termites are. at one point. <laughs> yeah, Tim Allen goes, yeah, I don't know if they're termites or Dalmatians. Um, but yeah, they are just like, uh, not children in like mentally, but they're all innocent. Like they don't have this understanding of what's make-believe and what isn't. And that, and like adds this like genuineness to like their behavior. But uh, I love that they're also like giant octopi, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> the, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Sam Rockwell's character, Guy, like is the only one to react like I think everyone would react if they got beamed up into space and their first encounter was with these octopuses like holding instruments like putting it up to their ears mm -hmm. he like screams really loud and eventually fades you know well yeah because tim allen never saw it and then right he, right. he just comes in where it's like yeah, come on guys it's fine like what, what what's right. he freaking out about yeah oh and then like them walking through the quarters like all discombobulated <laughs> like they can barely walk they chew gum it kind of helps mm-hmm like how disoriented would you be where it's like you have this firm understanding that there's like no alien races out there and then you're beamed up to a space to see octopus, you're shot octopi <laughs> yeah you're shot through the cosmos covered in gravity slime to prevent your organs from turning to jelly and then you just land on a spaceship yeah yeah and that's that's a really interesting like red herring there because you think there because you don't really see you or at least to that point you hadn't seen an alien race that was truly alien looking you know right. because they were humans which is another very star trek thing where you know they just find whatever permutation of human they like okay we're just uh put pointy ears on him he's an alien you know yeah and then the first thing you see are these like squid monsters and <laughs> Yeah, that that was a little weird for me. Maybe I don't know. I, I know people really enjoy that about the the film. I I thought maybe that was a little. I wouldn't have had a problem if they were just people. Yeah, I I don't know. I do like that they're that we just or like, you know, we the human race sees them as humans, but they are just actually like space octopi. Mm -hmm. But because simply because it makes um tony shalob his relationship with one of the aliens more funny because it's like they're romantically involved by the end of the movie and so i just want to know it's like if it's is it only sight that's the difference right or like we only see them that way or what about like sensation because they're like making out so it's like, do you feel all the tentacles around you? Well, and the proportions are so different. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. because like, you know, he's he's hugging her but uh -huh. like like this, but like he'd have to like hug her with his arms around <laughs> yeah. her like, to get around all those tentacles. 
unless they're just so liquid they can form into whatever shape but you know the, the level of awareness that that would have to have I, I kind of don't believe seeing as how awkward their human motions are. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just there. <laughs> no, but to think about it, it it's funny to think about. Yeah. That's why I appreciate that the, the it's just a representation. They don't actually look like that because it adds that like comedic wondering, like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's it's kind of like something you can like debate. And I like that, you know. Did you know that there's three aspect ratios in this movie? yes really cool yeah there's two obvious ones right because it's like right at the beginning you have like what the old show looked like and i think it's really well done to kind of like place it that you know Uh this was like you know 20 years ago four by three television ratio yeah and then it it gets wider up for a little bit but when um after tim allen's on the spaceship and he wants to go back and you know how he has to go, he's about to get beamed back and like the doors open and he can see all the space. Mm-hmm. They did an awesome trick where it's like the doors opening made the screen wider at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's like you barely notice it. And I didn't know about it until that documentary like I that we both watched. I'm like, that's really awesome. But it created a problem in that most people when the movie came out did not see the whole movie because projectionists just put the curtains on the four by three instead of what well, eventually they, became. They, they put it on the first the first widescreen scope, and mm-hmm. then and then when it goes to to the full anamorphic, because they let the movie run and they caught on to that. But it you know the fact that the third switch doesn't happen until about twenty minutes into it, which is probably the second reel for them back when movies were actually projected on film (laughs) right you know because the way that that would work is you'd have three reels and they're all on platter well different theaters were different but the theater i worked at you'd have three reels on three platters and you'd have to like load them on one two three and they feed from one to another and then kind of as they wind through the film it becomes self as you roll through the film it becomes self-rewinding so you can just start the next show automatically but um yeah i mean that didn't happen until like probably the second reel so they, they weren't checking that but yeah I, I i i caught two of them but the third one it does just happen very subtly and at that point i think that's why the trick works so beautifully is because you're just invested in the film and you 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 don't notice that yeah uh yeah i didn't notice it at all but they hit it behind those doors because the doors are opening into this brighter like galaxy landscape and so you're just, as the doors open, like the screen's getting, you barely notice it. And I had to pay close attention. I actually went back into, because I watched this on Amazon, I went back in and went to that specific spot. And it's like, unless you were specifically looking at the sides, you would notice it at all. I didn't. But that's that's a pretty awesome technique. Um, and like the director said, it was to like, signify tim allen's characters like widening of like what's possible and like what's out there and you know what he knows as reality which i think is is awesome that's a really cool technique to use um well and especially in the retrospect of the older television because nowadays everybody has 169 televisions which mm -hmm. i remember 
always making a point of asking for the 16.9 for the widescreen DVD back when they used to sell both. And everyone's like, why would you want that? There's black bars on the top and the bottom. So I can see the whole movie that's there. And yeah, it had black bars, but, you know, we won out, us people that wanted that because that became the dominant format was the widescreen. But Mm -hmm. I, I bring that up because it works so beautifully in this movie with an old TV show because it illustrates the whole, okay, it's TV, but it's fake because it's like, here's your very narrow focus. Here's your, here's your window. Here's your narrow focus. That's that thing, you know, and then reality is just a bit bigger and wider. And then, the grand adventure is even bigger and wider than that. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like it, it is really cool. What did you think of uh, all the special effects in this movie? Cause we had some heavy hitters. We had Stan Winston doing like the creature effects and then ILM doing everything else. Like it's pretty impressive. It, it kind of sounds like the studio kind of didn't have faith in this movie only in the sense that they were second guessing it for the PG rating. right even though that was the right call but you've got this dream cast Mm -hmm. (laughs) you've got the dream i think the only person who wasn't a a dream player no offense to him because he was absolutely the perfect guy to direct this movie as the final product proves just he had only done like one other feature film at that point and it was not some big science fiction adventure it was like uh it was was uh, home fries with drew barrymore and um luke wilson okay yeah like it small budget like kind of romantic quirky comedy you know Mm -hmm. uh but that was it i don't i i can't fault dreamworks for not having a lot of faith i guess in like where it was going but at the same time like they didn't have faith when it was released because they didn't put any marketing behind it you know like they really dropped the ball in that regard and it was only like became popular uh at the when it was released in like consecutive weeks it got better and better at the box office because word of mouth was spreading you know uh but they didn't really promote it that well uh looking back on it well i i think it it was maybe not that they didn't promote it well in in the sense that they did run a campaign it's just that they targeted the campaign to the wrong demographic with that eight to 12 year old audience. And right. then, and then as people went and saw it, it's like, Hey, no, everybody would enjoy this. Like, you know, you're at work having that water cooler discussion. Like, Hey man, you know, what movie's great. You got to go see galaxy quest. And that mm-hmm. spread that along. And that's, that's, that's good because you know, but yeah, back to the effects. I mean, everything everything from the cast to the effects i mean they you know really set this up to succeed and they only spent only like 40 <laughs> 45 million dollars on it which i mean nowadays that's you know that that'll buy you a cup that of coffee on a marvel movie you know <laughs> i know that doesn't seem like anything now you know uh, because it was like what what did we say 70 million for the snyder cut <laughs> right yeah well you know uh it's just to add more stuff back in Uh and like you know we have a whole well done competent movie on our hands for 
half that, you know, yeah, half the extended budget, you know. I I think the practical stuff is is pretty good. the The octopus people looks a, a little um, uh, Jim Hensony, you know, Muppety, and and I think that helps the charm of it because like you see him come in and then like you know because they can't really do the arms quite the way they kind of cut to different <laughs> angles and so you never see all of it working in one shot but that's fine because you know I, I think that just lends to the charm of it and the some of the computer effects are still pretty good some of them are yeah you know nothing's as bad as the the crack in 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 um deep rising though yeah, that's so shiny and, and, and it's smooth. it's from that era. <laughs> it is. So I, I think they did a, a much better job here and what they did stands the test of time a lot better. Yeah. Like there's like that fuzziness in like that rock monster that's just like screams digital, you know, from that era. Same with like the water effects. Oh, I was know? I was watching the thing form and it didn't quite seem to pull together in the way that now they would put a rig on it and, and base it off a physics simulation, <laughs> right. you know, and it's like, you have all those tools. Whereas back then it was probably like hand animated duct tape yeah. together with primitive Python <laughs> scripts. Yeah. It's all, it's funny to like, uh, cause I noticed one part where they teleported that rock monster into like the engine area, I guess. Mm -hmm. to destroy all the evil bastards but then they purposely tried to put like rocks on the set which have like all this texture because they're actually shot in the camera whereas like the rock monster is still smooth when you see it moving around so they you didn't know? use the reference photography is what you're saying right right there's like it's almost like what's that thing on that table oh that's the rock from the rock monster that looks nothing like the rocks in the monster <laughs> so. so that's still in the scene okay i didn't notice that. yeah i was just uh i was just watching it and i i was enjoying it but it's that was the one time i was kind of shaking my head where it's like okay you beamed it on the ship now now what like <laughs> i know it, because it's just gonna destroy it from the inside out <laughs> yeah it's kind of like hulk smash its way through every like you know you're gonna have hull breaches on all the decks you mm -hmm. know like uh, we can't close any more doors. The rock monster tore them all off, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fine, though. Did I it think... die when they shot it out into space? Because it, I mean, it's made out, it's a rock monster. Does it need oxygen? What are the, what are the rules on that? Well, Anyone? I thought it was, see, the ex... I, I don't know what the rules are. Send us an email, someone. Space. <laughs> We'd love to hear but, uh... that. At post credits I, I, on Instagram. I had this feeling that the rock monster was happy, right? Because it had this weird, like, head tilt and its arms were out, you know? Like, maybe it was happy that it was just flowing because he didn't have, or floating in space because now he didn't have any weight, you know? Where it's like, oh man, my joints don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> wow. That's, <laughs> if that's the, es the intention, that's a little esoteric, but uh, all right. I, it is. And I'm saying that was just my crazy interpretation of seeing this rock monster float by in space for three seconds, <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know who we didn't talk about is the uh, ancillary characters. Like, 
Like Justin Long. Like Justin Rain Long. Wilson. Rain Wilson. Yeah. Every well, everybody in this movie, I mean, like people that didn't have a career, like they would go on to be future superstars. Like they're both great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I find that this is like the only movie where Justin Long looks like a nor or a younger version of Justin Long. In the rest of his movies, he always just looks like Justin Long. I think he's <laughs> ageless at this point, and this is the okay. only movie where like he actually looks younger, but still himself, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's it's weird to see um like Raid Wilson in it. And I always do a double take because I forget that he's in this movie, and then I see him in a limousine. I'm like, hey, that's Dwight. Dwight Schrute's here. Yeah. Yeah, and then he kind of just disappears for the rest of the movie. Uh yeah, because he um he had like they say it in the documentary too, he was on a pilot for like the worst show ever made. That he was like that's what he said. And then oh, well. that's why he had to get taken off um taken off the or that's why he wasn't in the movie for very much longer. And the director said like, Yeah, he would have been in it a lot more. He was great. But yeah, he went on to do a, a pilot that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, because those other two aliens they're in it a lot mm-hmm. yeah they are and it seemed like because uh, the uh the girl winds up being the romantic interest and then the the other guy not malthazar winds up having that nice moment with alan rickman where he gives him like that moment grab thaws great no by by the by grab thar grab thar's hammer you will be avenged oh boy I could say it again. You know maybe. what, though, and <laughs> but thank you for pulling that out of a tailspin there. Yeah, and you know, and he gets to have that nice moment before he, you know, dies. Yeah, but like, like that whole movie is like building up to not the whole movie, but his whole character arc was about rejecting his character, and then until he finally embraced it and then became the hero that these people needed, and then he gave him that moment in his passing and he just has like you know that nice little smile before he passes away so i gotta say i think although i said like earlier like there's not one uh show stealer i really like alan rickman's character in this in everything like it like his how he speaks always seems so condescending you know Mm -hmm. this like slowness and like monotone delivery and it's i I find it so funny because then the juxtaposition of him trying to like judo chop all the bad aliens at the end of the movie you know it's really funny and they have to hold him back (laughs) yeah you see like his hair poking out of the ball cap i know um apparently alan rickman um said that or he had uh things that are I guess inspiration for that alien headgear that he was mm-hmm. wearing and that he needed it to be something that would look like he could put it on himself instead of being like, you know, more like articulate because it's like, as the movie progresses, like more of it starts to peel off. Like, like halfway through the movie, you can start to see his hair on his like, the back of the head coming under the mask, you know, and okay. then by the end of it, like his hair, like, cause he's fought so many people that like his hair is coming out of the top and half of it's coming off his scalp. And Oh, Hey, you, <laughs> you know, know, I, not to burst your bubble, but that glue that was holding that on would have come off days ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just because yeah. all of that stuff is made 
so that your sweat is a natural dissolvent for it. But I digress. Okay. Well, I just also think it's great that none of the uh, aliens like said anything about that. Like as the movie's progressing, you're seeing more of Alan Rickman's like hair coming through, more skin underneath this like headgear. And it's so obvious what's happening, but no one says a damn thing about it. Like, oh, you're not who you say you are. They just accept it as like, that's what it is, yeah. you know, uh, which I, I find is great. It's just another great little touch that this movie has. Speaking of bubble bursting, just to go back to the beginning for a minute at the convention scene, that bathroom where the guys come in and just start talking their crap, like, you know, Tim Allen's really riding high where, you know, cause th this is his, this is his March madness. This is, you know, he, he just won the winning touchdown at the Super Bowl. All these people are carrying him off on his shoulders, basically. And then he goes to the bathroom and then like these two, the two people in the whole convention center who aren't there for that come in and just start talking their crap about it. And he, he just kind of has that moment of self clarity and it just really brings him down. And it just kind of shows like how, you know, lost in that he is. And, you know, he then he compensates badly and winds up going back to his house drinking, which he probably does quite a lot. And then he's sort of pulled back out of it again by the wholesomeness of the, the aliens. Yeah. I got to like with that, like, I wonder how many times that's actually happened, you know, to I would imagine. I mean, you it's you probably can't even like figure it out how many times it's happened but it's probably happened to a lot of actors in the same scenario where it's like they're at a fan thing a convention and someone shit talking them although i will say if you're a celebrity you, like you have like your own private bathrooms and you're not in <laughs> you're not on the floor using the same bathrooms as us peons no, <laughs> so. maybe not in 1999 they weren't <laughs> no no I, I think we already covered how drastically different conventions were then to now oh yeah i mean they are now what that you saw in the movie which is which is great mm -hmm. but yeah far shot away from what they were 20 years ago but there have been a lot of movies and tv shows that have tried to do this same concept i've noticed and i think all of them i can't think of a single one futurama did one which was Star Trek, no episode where no fan has gone before. Um, and my name is Bruce, or they call me Bruce. You know, it's the same kind of idea where it's like people need the actor to try and save the day. And I, I feel like all of those came afterwards. I, I would love to know if there was an earlier example or if this kind of invented that, you know, subversive sort of... Because it's not a satire, but it is very fourth wall breaking and self-reflective. Yeah, I don't I can't think of any other time that something like this has happened before, but there's been plenty of times that it's happened after. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even to the point where it's like Gal Guardians of the Galaxy, I didn't really think about it as being influenced by Galaxy Quest, but I think there's an argument to be had there. Um, uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like, how how you could do it again, you know, without being like, yeah, this is a Galaxy Quest ripoff, <laughs> you know? 
I don't know how you would how you could do it in other ways. Well, sure, and I I think part of why framing it as a Star Trek esque show is uh, just the perfect choice because fans were the ones to bring it back to life after its popularity went away. Fans were the ones that kept it alive. Fans are the reason why there's always some kind of Star Trek thing in production, even though the last one, yeah, really wasn't that great. You know, Star Trek Beyond. But that's what continues to keep them alive. So, wait a minute. We we can't we got we can't let that go. You didn't like Star Trek Beyond? It goes way beyond the movies, man. It's it's not just oh. the movies. It's the TV shows. Okay. Because between the well, movies, there's a TV show. Yeah. To, to stretch out the gap between the movies. Oh, okay. I was just I thought you were talking about Star Trek Beyond. I haven't watched any of the new shows like the B uh Discovery or um Picard, Picard yet. Yeah. I want I Picard really interests me, but I haven't watched it yet. I guess the other one is great. I don't know. So I've heard a lot of complaints about Picard. Oh really? Okay. Interesting. I don't have any skin in that game because oh, I you know, everybody loves Patrick Stewart because he's Patrick Stewart. You know, I <laughs> I, I like a lot right. of what I've seen of the next generation. I liked um, I like the first two movies. Uh, okay. Generations and First Contact, and the other ones. Hmm. They really, yeah, they kind of go into some uninteresting territory. You know. Uh, Nemesis was really bizarre to me. Um, but anyways, I, I don't know. I feel like, not to be really rude to Star Trek, but I feel like this is, yeah, like we said before, this is probably like one of the better Star Trek movies. <laughs> Interesting enough, they, uh, in like, um, like in 2013, there was like, rate the best star trek things there was like a giant survey rate the best star trek movies and i think there was only like 12 that have have come out then right mm -hmm. and this and <laughs> galaxy quest was rated number seven out of the 12 star trek movies that have come out at 2013 so what survey find, was this oh it was just some sort were, of were like people writing it in no, it was like through like the Star Trek community. I think it was at um like one of the uh Star Trek conventions, like which one like I I'm not sure which one which convention it was, but yeah, there was some sort of like voting system and votes that went out to see like which what people liked the best. Oh, but I didn't realize this was actually considered a Star Trek movie in some unofficial capacity. <laughs> yeah, like the Star Trek fans like really embraced it. Um and one of the things that I kept finding out was that they really like it because it doesn't make fun of their fandom. It's not like rude to it. And it kind of celebrates like their fandom and stays true to like stories in Star Trek, you know? So they kind of put it on a pedestal just for that, you know, where it's like, you don't have to be rude to a fandom to also have fun with it, you know? Mm -hmm. It kind of starts out that way, but I, I think, it again, that goes back to just playing it straight with certain characters and certain actors mirroring some of the real-life Star Trek actors and their experiences and to more, you know, varying degrees of uh, 
enjoying what they're doing and not enjoying it and embracing it or pushing back against it and then kind of circling back around to you know because without naming names I, I can definitely see actors that fit into these exact tropes where it's like oh there's the there's the Nimoy there's the Kirk you know <laughs> yeah 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 um so I think that's really great and I think it's like uh you know a great thing that this this movie was able to do was also like tap into um those fans you know and with any fandom i often wonder like why like i'm a fan of certain things but it's like whatever for whatever reason you grasp onto that and i can completely understand and identify with like people that kind of get fed up with like other groups talking shit about whatever it is that you're into you know mm-hmm. um uh so i'm glad that it wasn't the case with this movie you know yeah i agree yeah, you know what though? That whole convention center is dead. When that ship hits the wall, like dead. They're all no dead. No kidding, dude. So I found out that the in the original script, like that sequence happens where it's like the ship crash lands into the convention center. And it was so dark that like multiple people got their heads decapitated. Wow. Because of like because of how quickly it came in. And I'm just like Although I questioned how no one died in that, I definitely wouldn't want to see like fans getting their heads ripped off by the ship coming into the convention center. You know, by by the thing that they love. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, as much that's... of a torture as what Malthazar was going through. If yeah, it's just that they got the luxury of dying quicker. But and you know that would work in a spaceballs type movie, right? That's goofy, and you know, like like any Mel Brooks thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this movie, like, man, that's like, and that, that happens like three minutes before the credits roll. So that's like the bad taste you would have left in your mouth would yeah. be this ship just killing fans that love galaxy quest. <laughs> like, Oh well, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but again, it, it would have worked if the whole movie was slapstick, but if you right. had the movie the way that it is, and then you did that, like you would absolutely, have turned on it because it's like, no, that's, that's not cool. That's unacceptable. But I just saw that. And it's like, there's no way that. (laughs) (laughs) No. Someone, uh, you know, it's like great special effects. Like, wow, look at this stage show they're putting on. (laughs) It just, it reminds me of a secret of the ooze when the turtles come in, they're fighting Toka and Raza and everyone in the crowd is just like losing my mind. It's like, look at those costumes. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, that's all that I, that I got. Do you have anything that you want to add before we depart? Well, no, episode? no, let's, let's land the plane at the convention center. <laughs> right. And not, not kill or possibly decapitate any one of our fans. No, you're all so. going to be here for the next show. Promise you guys. Well, you can find the post credits podcast on social media at Facebook and Instagram at post credits podcast. And you can also give us a five-star review on Apple or Google podcasts. We'd appreciate it. It helps us greatly. Not bad. You know what? The rolling does help.
You know why? Why? Because it always ends on one in the show. 